You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Good morning. You guys could have a seat and join me while I pray. Thank you for coming today. Father, we pray that you would uh, give words of wisdom as I pray today. Uh, Prince once wrote the lyrics, Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Now, in some form, we all endure life differently. The compost season God has called us to is the hardest pill to swallow. Let us pray to a God that gives a promise of eternal life. Father, I pray for those wanting to just give up on life and wondering where God is and why he isn't jumping in and saving us. Lord, I pray that we could open ourselves up. Let our wounds be seen and touched. Let us not be isolated, but let us be in relation. Give us strength to call upon our fellow brothers and sisters to pray for us to join in and see life fully exposed. Let us minister to people like myself whose weaknesses are challenging to understand and that we take special care to study weaknesses and learn compassion. And we celebrate power of God as we watch the Lord use the weakness to reveal his strength. Father, we thank you. Pray that you would guide this message today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for uh, praying for us, Russell, and for working prints into the congregational prayer. (laughs) Nicely done, man. This is good timing, too. Uh, as a church, we're working our way through the book of Matthew, uh, and we're kind of at a, at a turning point in the book. When you look at the book of Matthew, we're also kind of right in the middle. Uh, and we're starting to see this shift. You know, Jesus, when he first came, he brought the, the message, the good news of the gospel, first to the Jews. Uh, then he started taking that gospel message out to uh, the Gentiles, the nations kind of surrounding Israel. And ultimately, that was always God's purpose. Uh, to do that from the very beginning. Uh, Over the last two weeks, we've looked at these little glimpses of that where Jesus first takes this journey uh, up and he has this conversation with a a Philistine woman. And then he comes back and we see the feeding of the 4,000, which we looked at last week. Both of these uh, evidence of that gospel message now going out uh, to the rest of the world. And as the message of Jesus, as he continues to talk about his kingdom and call people to repentance, you see the Jewish people, the, the religious leaders, uh, not getting the message, right? I mean, over and over and over again, they have hardened their hearts. They've stiffened their necks. They're, they think they had God all figured out before Jesus ever came along. And then Jesus comes on the scene and, and, and radically changes uh, the way that we interact with God. They saw God as a set of rules and regulations that you had to follow to be in relationship with Uh, And now all people are called to repentance, no matter if you're a a Jew, as long as you will confess Christ as Lord. uh, They're invited in, and the Jews don't like this. So they, the Jewish people, are, 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 are not hearing the message, but then you have other people like the disciples, and their, their understanding of who Jesus is continues to grow, and it gets, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So today what we're going to be looking at is Matthew 16. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to open up to Matthew 16. And we're going to look at another one of these examples where the the Pharisees just don't get who Jesus is. 
They, just, they, are, they are oblivious to the reality of His kingdom and what it means to be a, to be a part of it. But before, before we do that, I just want to tell a quick story about me being oblivious. Um, we'll put a picture up here if you guys remember this uh, from last summer. Uh, we, uh, I don't know, <laughs> we always did the, you know, the where were you on September 11th. We're like, where were you on July 29th when Greenpeace came to the bridge? Uh, where was I? I was underneath the bridge. Uh, so that Wednesday morning, I, I got up and I, I decided it was one of my days I wanted to try to get some reading done. And so I have this favorite reading bench that, uh, that I like to read at underneath the St. John's Bridge. I have this one bench and it's kind of higher up the, the hillside right at the top. And you guys know Cathedral Park is beautiful. It has all these trees. Uh, and that's really what I like. I really love to sit underneath these trees and, uh, and to read and to, and to watch the people that come by. And so on this particular day, I, I had a book out and, and I was reading. And um, a lot of people kept like walking past me going down the hill to where the, the beach is and the, and the boat launch down there. And so the first couple of people passed by and, you know, they had like lawn chair in hand and all excited and talking and they're going down the hill and I'm like, okay, you know, like, I've never seen this many people here before. I'm like, it's a nice day. It's Portland. It's July, right? And so I just kept reading my book and, and then I, more people, you know, and, and about 30 people had, had passed by me all heading to the exact same spot. And the only thing I could think of was, man, it's a nice day in Portland. It is just... <laughs> This is a really popular park. I had no idea this many people like to come here to this park, but I'm trying to read, guys. Like, knock it off. It wasn't until a police officer on his bicycle, on his, um, his motorcycle, he comes riding down the walking path, and he parks right beside me. He gets off his bike, and he says, can you see it from here? And I'm like, see what? <laughs> because I had, the, there's all these big trees in front of me, right? And he was like, there's a bunch of people hanging from the St. John's Bridge. And I'm like, really? <laughs> Here? You're talking about So I like literally walk like 20 feet over and I look around this tree and I'm like, hey, look at there. There's all these people hanging from the, hanging from the St. John's Bridge. And, and it, was, it, was so, it was so funny for me. And that memory has just really stuck out because it, it's reminded me of how easy it is to, to miss what's going on around you. You know, you get so focused on what you're here to do and you miss this bigger, beautiful work that's going on that's exciting. So I, I walked down there to the, to the bottom, put my book away, and I walked down to the bottom. And I remember looking at these, these, uh, these people hanging from the St. John's Bridge and, and thinking, man, those people really believe in their cause. You know? Like just, just rappelling there, no, trying to stop this ship for, from getting out. Uh, and for days, you know, they hung there until they were able, a, able to get them down. Uh, I, I looked up this past week. I was like, what, whatever happened to those people? Uh, and so I started doing some research. And not a whole lot of people talk about what happens to you after you do something like that. Uh, most of them were fined money. Uh, I think, I think the, uh, a number of them, the ones particularly that were repelling, I think had to pay 5000 each, if you remember. Does that sound right? Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. They had to pay somewhere between five dollars and $7,000 um, to the Coast Guard, I think it was. Uh, and then uh, Greenpeace himself had to pay, I think, $25,000 for, the, for the organizing the blockade and the, and the kayaks and everything like that. But when I look at them, I see a group of people who have faith, right? I mean, they believe in something. And that belief is causing them to risk everything 
In, in the case of, of those people hanging from the bridge, they not only risked their health, their life, it was, a, it was dangerous what they were doing, they risked imprisonment, they risked their money, they obviously risked their time, and they risked their talents, all for the sake of this, this idea. And I, and I remember, and I think I posted even on Facebook, you know, which how, how we really get involved, we post on Facebook, thinking, man, I wish the church was as adamant about faith as these protesters are, you know? Now, I don't necessarily agree with, agree with I'm not advocating for Greenpeace. Uh, I think they're a little uh, idealistic uh, in some of the things that they protest for, but you can't argue with their convictions and what they're willing to do to see those convictions followed through. And it's the same for us as followers of Christ. You want to know what we really believe to be true about God, it's how we live out our day-to-day lives. It's, it's not just about what we believe in our head, but it's, it's about the words that come out of our mouth. You know, Jesus said just a few weeks ago, you want to know a, a tree, look at the fruit. You want to know what's in your heart, look at your words. So that's what we're going to be looking at today in, 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 our, in our story of, of a, a group of people who, uh, who are not willing to change. They're not willing to risk. They've, they've got God all, all figured out. And uh, I think it's good for us as a church every once in a while just to, just to slow down and to stop and just examine our lives and say, you know, am I following, am I following God? You know, it's, it's easy for faith and, and religion to just become a routine for us and to, to lose the, the risk factor. And that looks different for, for every single person. I'm not going to tell you exactly what that is for you, but, but I've, I feel like sometimes as I, as I live out my faith and I'm in Christian community that, that sometimes we follow a, a riskless God. You know, that's at least what it, what it looks like. I, I feel like sometimes we follow a God of, of safety and comfort. Or, uh, or sometimes we follow a God who is, uh, who is predictable, we follow a God who's not going to ask us to, to sacrifice anything. And, and I wonder sometimes if instead of us being made into the image of God, have we made God into the image of us? You know, that's what the Pharisees had done. They had taken God and conformed him to the way they wanted him to be. And so we have to continue to evaluate our lives and look at the message and, and look at how we're responding to this, uh, this, gospel, this gospel message. So let's do that today in Matthew 16, uh, 1 through 12. As a church, we like to stand up. If you're visiting with us, we stand and we read the Word of God. We stand in honor of the Word, believing its authority in our life. Uh, even today, uh, back at our prayer time, uh, we were praying together and, and somebody prayed for me that, that this would be God's words. And that's a weight that you feel when you get up here and you open up the Bible. But I do want to hear from God. I don't want, to just, I don't want you guys to hear from Josh. So, uh, so we're going to read the word together, and then I'm going to pray over myself, and I'm going to pray over you guys afterwards. So let's start here in verse 16. We're going to go through verse 12. <clears throat> and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they came uh, to test him, and they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he answered them, when it is evening, you say, when it, is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. 
And Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we come before you now, and uh, and we just want to humble ourselves under your word. Uh, Father, we want to understand exactly what it is that, that you are saying to the original audience in the text, to whom Matthew was writing to, but also to us today as your people and, and, and as your children. Father, if there is any uh, uh, blind spots or sin in our life, uh, if we've put you in a box, if we've settled for anything less than what you would have for us as your children, we would just ask that you would open up our hearts to that reality. Father, as we examine our lives under your word and inside of relationship, uh, would you continue to shape us and mold us into the image of your son? And I ask that you would do that now uh, through the study of your word and our time together. We ask this in the name of the son. Amen. You guys have a seat. So it's interesting here. uh, We're seeing uh, something happening in the text which kind of mirrors... uh, other things that have happened in the book of Matthew so far. We see here the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they come to, to test Jesus. So we think back to Matthew chapter 12, when, uh, when they accused Jesus of being able to cast out demons through the power of, of Satan, they used the name Beelzebub. Do you guys remember that? They, they accused him of that. Jesus had an intellectual argument with them to prove their point wrong. But then they came back and said, you know, show us a sign then of who you are. And this is his response to them. He says, an adulterous generation seeks for a sign, and no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. Well, we know as we continue to read the text that that truth doesn't sink in. They then come back to Jesus a short time later, and they question Jesus and the fact that he's not being obedient to their... Uh, is it getting a little warm in here? You want us to kick on, the, kick on the fans? I see you fanning. We can do that. You want to kick that fan on? Uh, they come back to Jesus, and they, they challenge him by not, by not um, being obedient to their teaching, which was washing of hands before eating food. And then Jesus, re- in return, challenges them back. He rebukes them for cha- trading the, 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 the um, obedience to God and, and, and in exchange for obedience to themselves. They were not taking care of their parents, and that was a command of God uh, to do that. Well, then they return again in our passage today, and this time they're asking for a sign, but it says they want a, a heavenly sign. So they're wanting to see one of the miraculous things that Jesus can do, probably in the, in the metaphysical realm, whether it's related to, to nature. They've heard of Peter walking on the water, of Jesus calming the storm. So that's the kind of sign that they're looking for. They want to see evidence of who Jesus is and where he gets his power from, because they don't think he gets it from God, and they don't think that he can actually do what they're asking him to do. So what does he do here in, uh, in return? It's pretty funny. He challenges their, their understanding of, of, of these signs. He says here, um, and he answered them, when it's evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red and in the morning it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. So he says, you guys can, and he uses a real logical argument here. You can look up and determine the weather. 
right? He uses a saying which is really popular in the evening. If the sky is red, then it's going to be good weather that night for sailing. If you, in the morning, if the sky is red and threatening, it's going to be bad weather. I don't know if you guys have ever heard the, the saying, red sky at morning, sailors take warning. Red sky at night, sailors delight. Uh, he uses a, a, something like that, and he says, you guys can understand the signs of the weather, but you can't understand all of what I've already done. It's, you don't need another sign. Look at, look at my miracles. You were there throughout this whole time. You were there in the very beginning with, with John the Baptist and the, and the signs that God did through him. You've watched my life. I haven't hidden anything from you. You've seen me heal the sick, and, and you've seen me cast out demons. You have all of these signs, but yet... You need another sign. And Jesus, he, he kind of, you know, kind of makes fun of them a little bit here. He says, man, you guys can understand the weather, but you can't understand exactly what it is that, that I'm doing. He says something really similar in his rebuke in, uh, in chapter 12. He calls him, he's, and in 12 he says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. It was a sign to repent, and he alludes here. So what exactly is, is the sign of Jonah that he's talking about? If you guys are here a couple of weeks ago, uh, you guys know the story of, of Jonah. God calls Jonah to uh, a, a group of people, to a place called Nineveh, and it's a people who are rebelling against God and idolatry, and he calls them to repent. Well, Jonah doesn't think that the, the, the people should, they deserve God's forgiveness. He thinks that God should destroy them, right? And so Jonah goes to the people and he asks them, he tells them, gives them the message. And what happens in the story? Do you guys remember what Nineveh does? They repent, right? And do you remember what Jonah does? He's upset about it. And so Jonah, in this story here that Jesus is saying, is meant to represent the Pharisees. And that, that, that Jesus has come and his gospel message is going out and people are coming in. These, these Gentiles are coming into the faith. Jesus just fed the 4,000 people. And you guys remember what happened after he fed the 4,000 people? It says they saw the signs that he performed and they praised, they worshiped the God of Israel. So all of these people are coming into the kingdom. And Jesus is telling them, the only sign you have is you should be like Jonah and you should repent because this is my kingdom and I am doing this thing. But it didn't, it didn't register with them. They didn't, they didn't like that. They didn't like that all of these other people were, were coming into, into the kingdom of God because they had God all figured out. It's really interesting as, as I've processed through that this week and I said, okay, God, how do, we, how do we do that? You know, I see how in the text you're really challenging the Pharisees because of their hypocrisy they're keeping a lot of people out of the kingdom of God by placing all these rules and regulations. But, but what does that look like for us today as we kind of get to this point of application in the text? And, and I really started thinking about, about, about my life and about us as a church. And I wonder how many times we, like the Pharisees, just get involved in religious activity. It's good things, right? Coming here is a really good thing. We have a high value on this as a church. Us being in community together with Christians is a good thing. We have a high value for us as as a church. Being in God's Word is a really good thing. But then I wonder the way that we actually interact with our our neighbors here in St. John's. The way we as a church love this community. 
And, and if we aren't willing to love and we're unwilling to be compassionate and if we're unwilling to sacrifice time and do like the Compassion Connect stuff, what does that say about what we believe about God? And what does that say to this community that we're a part of? And, and I get that it's hard and it's, and it's messy, but I really do believe that many times we just settle for less than what God has for us as a church. I believe He wants us to, to embrace and to engage and to love, but it's hard because it's messy and it's uncomfortable and we don't really like that, right? Uh, this past, uh, last week, I'm sorry, I was here at the church and we have a, 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 a number of guys here in our community who are, who are homeless, uh, who, who sleep here around the property. Uh, and, uh, and so I was, I was doing some, um, I was in the lounge uh, putting in a, a timer for the lights. And, and I heard this, I heard somebody yelling, right? Like, like uh, moaning and yelling. I was like, wow, what is that? And I, and I stepped outside and I didn't know it, but there was somebody asleep on the front porch. Uh, and, uh, and he was just over, over to the right there and, and he's just... He's asleep, but he's yelling, right? And, uh, and so I, I stepped outside, and I said, hey, man, are you okay? And he, and he kind of woke up, and, and it's a guy that, that's come here uh, a few times, uh, times to Red Sea, off and on. Uh, and and uh, he's a, a really, really severe addict. Um, and so he, he was really cold that morning, and, and so he came inside, and, uh, and I turned on the heater and, and made him a pot of coffee. And, and we just kind of hung out in the lounge for a couple of hours uh, while I kind of did my did what I was doing out there, and we just chatted it up. Uh, and it was, really, it was really interesting for me because in that moment that I heard him make the noise that he did, you know the first thing that came into my mind? I don't have time for this, right? I was like, okay, like I'm here to do a project, and if I go out there, this is going to interrupt my time. And, and, and then this is going to, and so I'd say, okay, but this is, this is what the kingdom's all about, right? That we don't hear somebody yelling and look away. I, I could have easily said, okay, I'm going to go down and hide in my office until, until maybe he wakes up and, and goes away. But, I, but he came inside and, and we talked uh, all through life. Um, it was one of probably the most honest conversations I've ever had with, uh, with, with an addict about how did you get here? Uh, and he had been uh, living on the streets and had been addicted for 20 years. Uh, when he was 13, uh, his, his folks kicked him out, and, uh, and he's um, 33. He had just turned 33, and we had a really interesting conversation about all the birthdays that involved threes in his life have been the worst birthdays ever. So this is one of his worst birthdays ever, and I was like, oh, man, you know, you still got a lot of threes. You still got 43 coming up. He was like, I won't make it to 43. He was like, you can't live like this and make it that long. Uh, and he was true. Your body physically just can't hold up. As he was making his coffee, he probably put 20 packets of sugar and two packets of hot chocolate mix into it just to try to get his body functioning enough to be able to go and score another high, right? And I thought about, and, and so we talked about the, God's love for him. I was able to pray over him. Uh, we went out to Super Burrito and got some awesome burritos uh, and, uh, and, and gave him some food. And then to the next day, I came back to finish the project up. And he was out there again. And so he came in again. And, and, we, had, and we had another conversation. And I haven't seen him since then, so I'm not sure where, where he went. But it was one of those opportunities that I had to remind myself of, of why we're here. Right? It's easy to, to forget and think that, oh, we're here just for 
to coming together in this building on a Sunday. Or even more than that, it's, it's easy to think, oh, I've, I've just got to do my job, you know, and, and God just wants me to focus on my priorities. It's my job, and it's my home, and it's my 401k, and, and it's all these different things. Religious people, like what we see in our text, have been really bad about taking God and, and making Him work into their agenda and justifying their, the way that they live their lives. But that is not what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. And Jesus continues to demonstrate for us as, his, as God's people this, this compassion for the, the people that God has placed inside of our lives and inside of this community. Uh, I had another couple that told me a really similar circumstance inside of our church where they were just at Subway and there was a guy out front and they had to make this choice. Do I just go in and eat my meal or do I inconvenience myself and give my money? So they invited the guy in, and they they tried to pay for the guy's meal, but the subway employees said, hey, we want to pay for that guy's meal. Thank you for inviting him in. Nobody's ever invited that guy in before. That's kingdom work. But it's messy, and it's hard. And we have to be willing to, I think, take this box that we've put God in and, and, and just get rid of it and open up our eyes to all of this kingdom work. We need a, a bigger picture of who Jesus is. Next week, we're going to look at Peter's confession of Jesus. And, and Peter is going to, you know, he's going to ask the disciples, who do you think I am? And they're going to say, oh, maybe John the Baptist, maybe you're Elijah. And he's going to say, and Peter's going to say, you're the Messiah. And Jesus is like, and on that confession, I'm going to build my church and the, the gates of hell will not, will not prevail against this church and the, the empowering of that group of people under that confession. And then we go, go and see the church do these radical, amazing works, kingdom works. I believe God still has kingdom works here for us as a church today. I mean, we have to look at the signs, the signs of the time. That's what Jesus challenges the Pharisees here to do. See these signs. Be obedient to them. God's kingdom has come. It is rapidly advancing. And we can either choose to sit on a park bench with our book and ignore, right? Or we can get up and we can get engaged in the the kingdom of God that's at work all around us. That's that's what I feel like the message is for us today. It's, hey, let's not not be like the Pharisees inside of this. Well, the text continues here in verse 5. So Jesus... He rebukes the Pharisees. He gets gets in a boat with the disciples. And it says, when they reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They began discussing it among themselves, saying, "We, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, oh, you have little faith. Why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000? And how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000? And how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he was telling them to beware of the leaven of, the, the leaven of bread. Not of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I think this is one of those real comedic events in the Bible. I mean, place, try to place yourself in the scene. Jesus and disciples, they kind of get to the other side to where they're going, and they, they all get out of the boat, and Jesus turns to his disciples, and he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, right? And the disciples, they kind of like get together, and they're like, okay, he said something about leaven. Do you guys have any bread? Like, did anybody, did, did anybody buy bread from the Pharisees? Was there like certain Pharisee bread that we were supposed to get? 
because I don't have any bread. Do you have any bread? And Jesus is, is kind of standing back there, hearing what they're saying and saying, okay, I'm going to break this down for you guys. Be really kind. I'm not talking about bread here. I'm, I'm speaking metaphorically. Be, beware of their words. It's like leaven. It, it works its way into the dough and it, and it ruins the whole thing. So he wasn't challenging their, their, their intellect, right? But look at the challenge that he places on them. He says, I want to challenge your faith. He uses like his favorite title for the disciples. Oh, you have little faith, right? That's the one title over and over again that he uses to describe this, this group of people. Do you not understand what I'm talking about? Remember, remember the feeding of the 5,000? Remember, remember the bread, right? Remember the feeding of the 4,000? Remember the bread? And now I'm talking about bread, and I'm the bread of life? And my kingdom is, is advancing, and my words are going out, and, and the words of the Pharisees are advancing, and the, Satan of, the kingdom of Satan is going out. And those two words are trying to fill this kingdom and fight over this kingdom. And I want you to beware of their words. Right? And it's their teachings. But listen to my words and my teachings about compassion and justice inside of, inside of this kingdom. And, and I think the disciples start to get it. I think this is a part of, of Peter standing there making the connection to who Jesus really is. I think it's probably why Matthew included it in his narrative here. Because in a minute, like I said, or, or next week we're going to look at this, this confession of, of, of Peter as his eyes are opened up. To this, uh, to this reality. Once again, we can look into this and see this challenge, I believe, that God is, is asking us to examine our, our words. You guys remember uh, just a few weeks ago when he was talking to the Pharisees, he said, either make the tree good and, and fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers... How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on, that day, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. He's not talking about careless words and the fact that, that I, you know, I may get angry at my, my, my kid like I did yesterday and I had to go and, go and apologize to her. He's talking about the, the way that we talk about the kingdom of God and what we say the kingdom of God is and who we exclude out of the kingdom of God because of our compassionless words and our lack of love and the way that we interact with other people. Out of our heart, you can look at our lives and see what's going on inside of our heart. We as a church, and I believe the message for us today is to examine our words Examine the way that we are interacting with one another inside of this church, but also the way I'm interacting with my neighbors and my coworkers. The way that we are serving this community and loving on this community. That says a lot about whether we're following the kingdom of God or whether we're like the Pharisees and following the kingdom of Satan and excluding people outside of the kingdom of God. It's hard and it's messy, but it's the way that God designed it. And today, in just a little bit, we're going to have an opportunity where we're going to come to these tables and we're going to repent, right? We're going to remember who Jesus was. We're going to remember the grace that was extended to us. And, and, and I think we need to repent, too, as a church of losing our way, right? That's, that's why we do this every, every single week. And then re-engage 
taking steps of faith and risk. That is what God is calling us to. So I wanted to give you guys a real practical example of this because I, I, I know I'm, I'm just kind of speaking in a big picture. I'm going to ask my wife to come forward. When I was working through this message, I was really wrestling through uh, kind of practically what this looks like uh, on, on a day-to-day basis. And, uh, and I was really thinking about us as a church, and, and I really wanted, I wanted to have somebody come up here and kind of dialogue with me about it. And I was telling my wife about this, and I was like, I was like man, I really want to have somebody uh, that can come up here and, and, and can talk about it. Uh, and would you just kind of pray that God would bring that person forward, right? And so the next morning, I was, I was reading, and, and I was just thinking, I was like, man, I have seen God do an amazing work in the life of my wife over the 17 years that we've been together. Uh, she has been an, an example to me of someone who's willing to risk, which is, which is very different from the person I married, uh, 13 years ago, uh, my wife has changed a lot. We were having that conversation, was it this morning or last night, about the changes and that, that being a good thing, uh, and the hard, hardness as, as your relationship changes over the years, and you really have to value the person that God is making them into, although it can be hard at times. Uh, but over the 17 years that we've been together, there's been these, these steps of obedience that God's asked us to take, and, and when we first got married, we kind of had what we felt like was God all figured out. Uh, we had a, uh, we were in, in Mobile, Alabama. I was a youth minister at a church. We had bought a home in a neighborhood, and we had family, and, and we kind of had like the 30-year the plan, you know? Uh, and as many of you guys know, the plan doesn't work out many times the way that you think it would. And God started asking us to take risks. Right? He asked us basically to put everything on the table. All, all, all good things. I want you to put your family and your job and your, your career, uh, your comforts, uh, your preferences, uh, your money, your housing, all of it on the table. And I'm going to choose what, and God's going to choose what stays and what goes. Uh, and he chose for a lot of stuff to go. Uh, and, and we started this journey. So we had to make, there was this choice of leaving Alabama, was probably the first one. Um, uh, almost a decade ago, right? Oh, it was more than a decade ago. More than a decade ago. Um, so there was that choice. And then when we were, uh, we were living in Texas, uh, and, and we thought Texas was a big ask for God to say Alabama to Texas. You know, that was like, whew. You know, it's like two states. Um, like Texas is like three states in and of itself. But it was a, uh, and then God said, no, I have, I have more for you. I want you to, I want you to go to Portland. Uh, and that was a big ask. Right? I mean, you're talking about our family uh, that has been together and in the South for a very long time. And God asked us to make, to make these steps. Uh, but those were steps that God was asking us. But as we were talking about it, Jamie was saying she, uh, she just had to follow in those steps, right? The, but there's been some other choices that God's asked her to make over the last couple of years that have been really changing for us as a family. And they've been really hard for us as a family. But they've been, it's been good. So I want her to talk a little bit about one of these, uh, these steps of faith that God has, has asked her to make. Well, I'm just going to kind of piggyback a little bit about what he was just saying. Like most people would think moving across the country would be the hardest step of faith for us, especially as we had our little seven-month-old seven little girl chewing up a brochure in the backseat. You know, like that would be the hardest <laughs> thing. Um, but because... Yeah. I trusted Josh's leadership, and because I had the security of my job going with me, it wasn't really hard. 
um, it was definitely hard saying goodbye to family, um, but I had faith because you were there. Um, I've discovered in recent years that God usually works in my life through things in a year, on a yearly basis, and in 2014, um, that theme was faith. Um, in that year, he stretched me in two very big ways. One of them was sending me across the world to Uganda by myself, well, with three ladies without my husband, um, and asked me to preach in front of 75 people. You guys know, I do not like this. <laughs> I do not like being in front of people. It makes me very nervous. Um, but even that, that wasn't the hardest thing either. Um, I remember in May of 2014, I had my 10-year anniversary with my company that I was working for. I work from home. Um, and I vividly remember telling my managers how happy I was to work with them. I was um, offered a raise. I was offered more flexibility in my schedule so I could volunteer whenever I wanted to at the girls' school. Uh, it was like a dream come true, basically. Um, and I, I ended with that review saying, I'm gonna retire with you guys. And little did I know that's not gonna happen. Um, two months later, I walked into the school to get the girls after school like I normally do, and I left with an out of the blue a job offer um, from the principal. She was asking me to be her secretary. She was in a very desperate place and needed a secretary, and she said, I literally just asked God, what am I gonna do? And I turned the corner. And so she pulled me in and asked me to quit my job and come work for her. And uh, so I went home, like telling Josh about it and talked to our home community about it and asked everybody to pray for us. I um, asked my family to pray for us, and it would have been very, very easy to say no thank you to that job. Um, but the answer was yes. And so two weeks later, I started working at the school as a principal secretary and, um, and having no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, it literally was the hardest decision that I've had to make in my life so far. Um, I took a pay cut. I could no longer volunteer in my girls' classrooms. Uh, for the most part, I couldn't go on field trips, and I no longer got off at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, which was wonderful. <laughs> um, so I wouldn't get home until after 4 and pretty much exhausted, so that yeah. was the biggest step of faith God's asked me to do yeah. so far. Yeah, it was, I, I think back on it, and we're, we're really bad at planning. Like, I'm sorry, we're really bad at over-planning. We're just those people. Like, we always have a plan for everything. We're always like, we, we joke around about how on time we are at everything. Like, it's just, it's an inside joke for us. But, uh, yeah, it's our family motto. Uh, the, the Curtis's was no fun. Ours is on time and efficient. That's just, that's, that's the Duncan's. <laughs> We're both pretty boring. <laughs> Maybe that's the problem here. Um, uh, and, and so I remember it just kind of coming out of the blue and not being on the radar. But what we had learned so far in that journey was to stop telling God what we would and would not do, basically. And that's a really good place to come to. When you think you have God all figured out, it's a good place for him just to come and rock your world, right? And say, no, nope, I, have, I have something else for you. Are you going to trust me? Are you going to trust me? And so we felt real clearly that this is what God has, was asking her to do, and us as a family. Um, so two years later, you're almost two years into it, uh, it has not been easy. Uh, sometimes we have this misconception, and I was talking to a guy about this earlier this week, that, that when we make a change, we, got, we think many times, oh, God has something better for us, 
and we think better is like easier, you know? God has something good for us always, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be easy. Uh, so tell us a little bit about the last two years and what's, what's the hardest part of, of, of making this choice and what have you had to risk and trust in God in throughout the process? Well, like you said, our, my second year ends in just six short weeks, and I'll be honest, I am purely exhausted. Um, just thinking about it last night, because like you said, he literally asked me Saturday to do this, and uh, so I just was processing through it last night, and I think it's truly God's grace that my mom and my dad got to move here, like right when I was taking that job, because it would have been a nightmare otherwise. Um, um, I think I went into the job pretty arrogantly, actually. I thought, that's a secretary job, no big deal, I can handle this, you know? Um, even though my mother-in-law said, you're crazy, like you have no idea what you're getting into. And um, so, kind of moving forward to today, most days I come home literally just wanting to climb into bed and go, go to sleep. Um, this is the one that's so hard. I know the backstories of the 320 kids, and it's really hard. Yeah. These kids, most of them, had really hard lives. My girls are truly blessed to have a good home life, and a lot of these kids just don't. And so, obviously, I'm very emotionally exhausted, too. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. It, it breaks my heart knowing some of the stories that the kids have gone through. And to hear a child say, I'm bad. I'm always going to be bad. That's just who I am. And I know the answer is Jesus. And I can't say it to that kid. Um, so I'm exhausted. But I know God's at work. And I know he's using me. He's stretching me, but he's also using me to minister to others too. Yeah, the, I, I guess we weren't prepared for the, the, the brokenness, uh, you know, being a, a, a priority one school in Oregon, they're rated one to ten, one's not good, um, and, and we knew it was hard because we had been attending the school for a couple of years, but it was a whole other level of investment, and investment in the people and, and, and into their lives, um, and it was so hard for me as a husband who would love to be able for my wife to be a stay-at-home mom, you know? I mean, that, that's something that we always valued, that we wanted, but doesn't necessarily mean that was the right thing to do. You know, it was whatever God wanted, and we felt really clearly this is what God wanted out of us. And, and maybe it's for a season, but we know that we're being obedient. And the only thing that, that we know to do is to get up every single day and, and to pray together as a family. Before they walk out the door, we all grab hands and we stand there in the kitchen and we say, God, would you please give us your grace today? And ask, and every day he does it. And, and he's, been, he's been so good to us the whole time. To see the, to see the relationship inside of the office change, to see the dynamic of the office change, because one person was willing to be obedient to what God was asking them to do. So then mission and faith and compassion becomes this daily struggle. You know, you don't have to go looking for it. It is right there. And I believe God is asking all of us to make those same choices. And I'm not saying that you're not doing it. If you're a stay-at-home mom, 
you're on mission, man. I mean, it's every single day of speaking the gospel into these kids' lives is exhausting and it's hard and it, it requires you to deny self, right? Because you're being obedient to God and what He has for you. But for all of us, it's important to look at our daily lives and ask ourselves, what does risk look like today? What does boldness for the kingdom of God look like today? And it's different for all of us, but I guarantee you it's going to involve relationship and it's going to involve other people. That's what risk is. It's not risky to read your Bible as an American. It may be in China, and that may be risk for them. But risk for us involves other people. And it's messy, but it's, it's a, to, to coin Rick McKinley, it's a beautiful mess. It really is, because God is at work in, inside of this. So I want us to, uh, I want to invite you guys to respond, or we want to invite you guys to, to respond. Uh, just in, in, in repentance and faith, that's what we come here to do. Uh, repenting of any lies that we've believed about God and His kingdom and what He has for us. Faith believing that He can do powerful things through us because of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And then we leave this place and we re-engage in life. We're, re- we're reminded of the gospel message. That's what, that's what Christians started off this, this, uh, this Sunday morning with. That's what we did in our prayer time. Let's remind our hearts of God and His plans and how big He is and the work that He's doing. And then let's join with Him on this mission of taking this gospel message out into this world and out into this community. So I want to invite you guys to do that. We're going to pray together. Christian and Alyssa are going to come back up and we'll respond in in worship and communion. Uh, Father, we come before you. We thank you for for your grace, God. It is is always abundant upon us. Uh, Father, I look back on the the journey that we've walked with you and and I can see over and over again just your faithfulness. Uh, There is at no point in this journey that I've been in control or we've constantly been able to look to you and seeing you, you doing this, Father. Uh, I would pray uh, for just a filling of your Holy Spirit upon this church to, to make us bold. Father, that if, if we've become, uh, um, I guess, arrogant toward other people in our relationships, if we've become exclusionary, uh, Father, if, if we have, have cut others off from the gospel message, would we repent of that? Maybe not in our words, but just in the lives that we're living, Father, I pray that you would lead us to repentance now. Would we remember your grace as we take communion? And would that grace then fill us and want us to be a gracious people who, who have fruit in our lives of love and compassion inside of, inside of this, this community, Father? I pray that you would continue to do that uh, through your church. Uh, we would ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.